Welcome to Pilot Boys episode 103. Today we have a college football sprint and it's so fast it's a 40. It's a 4-5-40 I think. And we have news and notes. We're going to talk about Dave Chappelle. We're going to talk about John Gruden. You guys might have read about that. A little bit of a humorous narrative. We're going to talk about Kyrie and uh, some of the uh, some of the crazy side effects of what's going on with the with the vaccine in society. So Stay tuned. We are ready to have some fun. Buckle up. Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. And we're back with another college football sprint with Coach Zach Smith crazy weekend in college football this past weekend what seems to be a week like this every year in the college football season that kind of just flips everything upside down um and this week was it a lot of great matchups upsets everything in between on the field drama off the field drama let's jump right into it obviously at the top of every show we talk about our buckeyes very easy win against uh an overmatched maryland team um from beginning to end we just kind of dominated going into the bye week what we had hoped for seemed like the defense was very solid uh as well and our offense was very balanced um, both in passing and running the ball and uh, cj stroud looked really good out there zach what were your what were your takeaways yeah you know in a game like this like i, I mean i before the year i thought this game could provide a problem just because Maryland has some skill, right? And it's like yeah. anytime a team has some skill that, that that is viewed as a lesser team, that, that could be problematic if Ohio State's not ready. They're not on it. Yeah. Right? Fortunately, Ohio State's faces adversity, so they, they kind of have a chip on their shoulder now where they, I don't think they have that overlook a team mentality, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, obviously, C.J. Stroud looked, I mean, a hundred times better than he did three weeks ago. And so that that's what you needed to see on offense. Um, I think that that everyone played well. It was obviously a blowout, but I, you know, I always take a blowout, and I'm like, all right, what, where where can we look? Where were the deficiencies that we can still improve yeah. on? Right, six drops in a game like that from the receiver, the receiving core, right, receivers, tight ends, running backs. Having six drops is just absurd. I mean, that's, yeah. you sh- you shouldn't have six drops in any game, let let alone that game. Especially um, when Loxley says in the post game press conference we couldn't cover anyone. Yeah, right. Like I mean, <laughs> he, he wasn't wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that obviously is, is huge. Uh, that 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 need, still needs to be worked on. That's been a problem every game so far, and it's <clears throat> it's not going to change anytime soon if they don't take a concerted effort, especially with a bye week, to really re- refine those skills, right, re- and, and really focus on eye control and hand placement, those things that make you know improve ball skills. And that's one thing that, that definitely needs to be done. And then 25 missed tackles on defense is, I mean, yeah. that's over double what you what you would want against what's supposed to be a lesser opponent, right? Because that just means if you're playing Georgia or someone of that caliber, they have better players that are more dynamic. You're going to miss more tackles, right? And, and in games like that, I always look at it like, who missed the tackles, right? Because in a game like that, like Rutgers the week before, Ohio State tackled well. They had like 20 missed tackles, but almost all of them were young players that got in the yeah. game late. In this game, it was starters. I mean, multiple missed tackles for Cody Simon, Zach Harrison, Ronnie Hickman, Cam Martinez, like guys that are starters. And that's that's where you say, all right, we still got to fine-tune that machine because those are two football fundamentals 
that should apply to anyone you play, right? If you play Bowling Green or Alabama, you, you got to be able to tackle well. You got to be able to catch the ball. Yeah, and so. this tack this tackling issue so is starting to sound like a broken record. It's been carrying over for multiple years now. How do you actually fix something like that? Right. It's a, it's a basic fundamental in terms of form and and tackling, but it's consistently become a problem for our defenses. Yeah, it's reps. It's reps and 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 focus. Right, how much time and energy you put into it. And and the other problem is, you know, you don't want to get you guys dinged up or beat up, and it's tough to full tackle in practices consistently and stay healthy so you got to find ways to do it and and honestly it's a it's it's a it's a decision you have to make like are we going to be a little sloppier and stay healthy for sure or are we going to try to you know really do a great job of teaching our kids how to practice so they can do tackling drills without hurting each other right yeah. and without getting injured how to fall i mean stupid things that you're like what like how to fall like how to how to take a tackle how to wrap and yeah. roll like things where you're like Man, that seems kind of like sixth grade football, but it, it's it's something that needs to be taught and 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 repped so that they can improve at it while staying healthy. Yeah, yeah, I think that's you know that's something we've seen the last few years is just the fundamental focus on the defense that we really need to put in. It's it's strange to see those errors, especially against a team like Maryland, where you know we saw Tagovailoa have a lot of bad games this season, yeah. right? And to see there were a few possessions that uh, it just it just felt like sometimes the defense just loses focus, right? And those are the types of things that can happen in a game like that, but can't happen to your point, Zach, against yeah. Penn State or against, you know, Michigan or against anybody else that, that we have to play of note. And, you know, the scene around us has really elevated over the last couple of weeks as well. Every I think there's three top ten opponents we have to play between now and the end of the season now. Yep. That's crazy. So it, it demands a really high level of execution and focus. And, you know, I'm, I, I agree with you. I think it's good to see that the team does seem to still have a chip on its shoulder from that Oregon loss. And it seems to have been a transformative loss, but um, still I'm, I'm not seeing the defense lock in really in the same focus way the offense seems to have, even with the drops. There's no doubt. And I, I think what you did see was, you saw there, there's definitely a shift going on 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 defense with the co coordinator switch and with as they grow under Matt Barnes, is they're doing a lot more defensively than what they did to start the year. I mean, they started the year, they just played one high and it was zoner man, and that was pretty much the defense. And now you're seeing a little more blitzes, a little more too high, a little more rotation, a little more multiplicity, which is, I mean, honestly, it's like, why I don't know why it was hard to get to that. Like, why do we ever not do that? Yeah. And I think it just... It started with Jeff Halfley and his defense and what he liked to do, although he was a little more multiple than Ohio State was to start this year. But we failed to recognize the players that he had on that defense, right? The, the defensive linemen, Chase Youngs of the world, and then Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett, I mean, Sean Wade, and like just Jordan Fuller at free safety, like things that, that Ohio State doesn't have now. And I'm not even saying their corners aren't playing at a very high level, but Jeff Jordan Fuller's not back at post safety. Yeah. And so you got you just got to give him some multiplicity until a kid develops into a Jordan Fuller. And that's what you saw on Saturday. That was probably the, the best takeaway from the game was they switched it up on defense a little bit and just made it a little harder. <laughs> and what's going on with Seven Banks? Do you think this is protecting his draft stock? Because we're not getting any clear answers. Set out a couple games. He had a knee issue in the offseason, but we're not hearing much at all he's supposed to be a premier cornerback this year but we're not hearing his name mentioned too often um 
Do you know what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, he played he played 50 snaps in the game, so he played. They didn't throw to him much. I think they threw at him four times for like 11 yards total. Um, yeah. But he played he played a ton in the game. I mean, he, yeah. it's he didn't play He's been early in the, the last year. couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what the issue was. I don't know, you know, if it was just they didn't like how he was practicing or if he was slightly injured. And you know, you never know with this stuff. It could have been an off the field thing. He could have been missing class. Yeah. You know, he could have been anything. Where now he's he's at least playing more, and he, he's certainly not, you know, taking that step to be a dominant corner, which would be indicative of the fact that maybe he wasn't playing the way they knew he was capable early in the yeah. year. So they just said, "Listen, we don't need to play you." Yeah. Um, but he's playing he's playing better now. I mean, he did he didn't have a great game on Saturday, despite you know them not really challenging him. He didn't do much, um, but he's definitely the third corner right now. If you really look at it behind Denzel yeah. Burke and, and Cameron Brown, and then you throw in you know, Cam Martinez, who's more of a slot guy. And, and now you're like, all right, seven kind of playing like the third or fourth corner, which is yeah, crazy is. Yeah, because he wasn't, he, he wasn't that low last year. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the thing that, that also stood out to me, I, I want to just give extra shout out to CJ Stroud. I mean, he played so well, it was oh, nuts so to well. watch the movement. He was in rhythm. The throws are essentially perfect. And then, you know, I felt like to, to your point about Maryland's what Maryland's coach said, I was watching Olave and, and Wilson run around the field, and you know these guys are just doing whatever they wanted. Nobody was even close to them. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a special group. It's a it's a talented group, and it, they could be extremely dynamic, which we saw on Saturday. It's just going to come down to what do they look like against, you know, Penn State's defense. Penn State's defense is the real deal, and when when that game comes up, or shoot, the the, the Big Ten championship game, that the Iowa duo of corners is the best two two corners in the country right now as a tandem yeah and i mean they're gonna face bigger challenges coming up because even oregon didn't have a great secondary right it was just mm -hmm. they're going to face challenges and are they ready for that challenge that's always kind of been the mo at ohio state right we know against rutgers and maryland you're you're going to get open we know we're going to yeah. score 60 points like that's if we don't we really have a culture issue yeah. but it's more like in 2013 when you play Michigan State and they have two first-round corners. Like, can you get open now, though? And can the quarterback lace that ball right on your left shoulder because the yeah. right shoulder is a PBU, right? If that, that's, what, that's what's yet to be seen. And there's no way to know that right now. Maybe they will. Maybe they go out tomorrow and just carve up NFL players. We don't know that yet, and we won't know until they're tested. So, Zach, well, what, what happens with a program like, you know, a Penn State or – Penn State's been good, but let's say, like, a Michigan State or a Michigan who was totally just not even a factor last year for us. We were not worried we would sweep through them. This year, so many Big Ten teams are ranked so differently. I was balling out like crazy. What happens year to year to create that drastic of a difference? A lot of times it's uh, it's roster turnover or, or just you know maturity, especially a, a team like Iowa. It seems like they always do this. Like every five years or so, all of a sudden you're like, "Wow, I was really good this year." It's because you know they they're a senior heavy team, and then and exactly. they they go out mm. there, and these kids have been playing Big Ten football for so long that they've have so many reps that now they're just playing at a really high level. They're program guys. They know the scheme. You know, there's not a lot of st staff turnover, if any at all. And it's Kirk Ferentz. It's like, I mean, he's he's been at Iowa since I think I was a baby, it feels like. Um, <laughs> and so that happens to Iowa. Michigan State's a whole other story. I mean, they they kicked 45 people out the door. It brought 45 new people in. And it's just an entirely different team. That It's like, how, do, how could you have projected that? And then, you know, every every situation's different, but it's there's there's always a reason. It's never just, oh, wow, they got good this year. Yeah. Yeah, and also looking forward, one thing I will say that's that's – 
standing out it, from the Oregon game offensively is obviously that we are actually dedicated and committed to running the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's also going to pay dividends against the teams like Iowa and Penn State who take away what you really want to do, which is throw the ball down the field to Garrett Wilson and, and Chris Olave. When that's taken away, how do you adjust? And what I'm confident in offensively is that we do have the best offense in college football. It's just a matter of the defense learning how to at least get to above average and good. And if we can do that, despite how good these other teams are in the Big Ten, it's pretty clear that Ohio State, in terms of actual talent, is still the class of of the conference overall. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, and, and I don't know, know that that was ever not true. Yeah. You know, we, we Ohio State struggled early, but that, that happens sometimes. And, you know, by the end of the year, Ohio State's going to be the top team in the Big Ten, even if they don't win it, even if they don't lose, even, yeah. even if they lose, they're still the top team in yep. the Big Ten and and the big dog and who everyone's gunning for. Um, so, yeah, there's no doubt about it. It was cool to see the Iowa-Penn State game because those were two teams that I was having my eye on just because we have to play them, but also um, I, I was just surprised, honestly, to see Iowa get so good when, you know, they were good. At, I remember as a kid when I must have been like, I think in, it must have been the 90s, you know, or early right. 2000s, right? Right. And uh, out of nowhere, they're just demolishing teams. But with Penn State, it was a really tight game. It was what I remember Big Ten football to be. Um, growing up, and I wanted to ask you, Zach, with the type of offense that we run at Ohio State—super pro style, super spread out—the even the makeup of the team, like the build of the players that we recruit, is different than in Iowa or Penn State. Oh yeah. What does that do from a matchup standpoint as we look at the rest of our Big Ten roster versus like the strategies we would have to use against like an SEC opponent in in a in a playoff or a situation like that. Yeah, it's very different. I mean, what what Iowa and Penn State, the the problems they poise um defensively are very different than what what a SEC opponent, you know, for the most part. Georgia kind of Georgia has a similar defensive I guess prowess as both teams, but you know, they really pride themselves on stopping the run and disrupting the quarterback. And that's how they're, and they're also playing against really poor quarterbacks. It's just the reality of it. I mean, the quarterback play in that game was, I mean, it made me want to vomit. Sean Clifford was, (laughs) Sean Clifford wasn't playing well, but he was at least executing the offense. And then he gets hurt. Uh, They're up 17 to 10. And then they bring in Roberson, their backup. And this kid, I mean, he looked like he'd never been prepared to play in a big time football game. And he, it was, I mean, he. I, I did a study. He uh, he threw five passes. If you draw a box, right, from the line of scrimmage to 10 yards and hash mark to hash mark, right, so that middle of the field under 10 yards, just drew a box. He threw, uh, I think, five passes in that box and completed two. Wow. Outside mm-hmm. of that box, he didn't complete a pass. Wow. The wow. Whole, the whole game. And it's like, it was just, it was bad. And and that was just him throwing the ball. They had it. So the other the other stat that has just blew my mind because as you watch this kid try to run this offense, he looks shook, he looks rattled. Yeah. I mean, I think they had like seven false start penalties because he wouldn't clap loud enough, and so the wow. crowd was such an issue. You talk about the difference between COVID and this year, right? The yeah. crowd had. I mean, they they took Penn State out of the game once that young kid went in at quarterback, and Sean Clifford on third down when he was in the game on average it was third and five. When Roberson was in the game at quarterback on average it was third and fourteen. Wow. Yeah. You talk about just night and day statistical odds to convert a third down. They went over on third down once once he third and fourth down, over 13 with him in the game. Yeah. Like you're not going to win the game. And Iowa yeah. barely won the game still. 
Yep. So it's like those two defenses have played nothing like Ohio State, nothing. Whereas Georgia has, right? And Georgia will. So that's the difference. Georgia's a little more skilled, more talented, but those two teams are still going to present problems. Ohio State just needs to play up to their ability level and play mistake-free when they face those challenges, and they'll be fine. Speaking of the SEC, <laughs> the, <laughs> the biggest storyline, obviously, of the weekend was not Ohio State or Penn mm -hmm. State or Iowa. It was Alabama getting upset uh, by unranked Texas A&M, who did not look very good at all when I watched them two weeks ago against Arkansas. This was an upset. A&M's offense suddenly woke up against an Alabama defense that we we have talked about seems to be struggling all season. Um, but what stands out more than the upset is what happened after the game. Um, losing to an unranked opponent, where Alabama fell in the rankings, versus where how Ohio State and other teams that were ranked highly when they took a loss, even to a 12th-ranked Oregon, who at the time was, I think, ranked in the top 10, and is still in the top 15, Ohio State drops all the way to the all the way to 11th. At a certain point, this just gets comical, right, in terms of how people are responding and how the SEC is being traded by the rankings. So let's start with the game, and then let's talk about the rankings. What happened here that caused Alabama to lose to an unranked opponent? Well, I think the defense really got exposed is what really happened. Bryce Young kind of played like he played all year, and I've said it. He's, he's not uh, – making NFL throws. He's not Tua Tagovailoa. He's not Jalen Hurts running the ball. He's not Mac uh, Mac Jones throwing the ball. He he's just not that yet and he might be eventually in his career, but he's not yet. And so he he played, I mean he didn't play a bad game. He played like he's played every other game and they just didn't need him to do more and now this game they kind of needed him to and he he wasn't that guy yet. Yeah. And then the defense got exposed. I mean the, the way A&M scored and, and moved the ball, it just, it it looked like what I saw on film from Alabama all year, which wasn't you know transferring to the box score, but the, the, their defense is just average this year. It really is, and that's not going to matter to the opponent. The SEC West is in a shitstorm right now. Yeah, I mean you talk about Ole Miss beat Arkansas, who beat A and M, who beat Bama, who it, it's just who beat Arkansas. It's like everyone's beat each other one time, and it's like who's going to come out of the West? This is wild. <laughs> I think you know what's interesting about watching this too is that this is probably the first time we've seen such uh confusion in the sec in terms of which teams are dominant i mean obviously georgia has been which is a true surprise to me given their track record but um it's nice you know we i have, I have a few ties to uga it's it's nice to see them you know winning finally and we'll see if they are able to sustain that but to see alabama lose man there is no greater satisfaction for me than watching that happen and just yeah. seeing the fans crumble and realize they're not going to win another title hopefully you know, the rankings prevent Alabama from getting back in. Uh, plus, to your point, Zach, there's still the SEC championship. There's still probably another loss that they'll take in their season. So, uh, to me, it looks like they may not make this playoff at all. One loss, Alabama makes it. But no two loss, Alabama, yeah, if they lose the SEC championship. They only drop them right. to number five. They yeah. So, I mean, the, <clears throat> I've always been a proponent of it. I've Back when I was coaching, now that I'm doing whatever the hell I do, um, the, the rankings are just nonsense because, yeah. I mean, it's so early in the year. It's like, all right, <clears throat> who's who should be ranked higher, Ohio State or Alabama? I don't know. So, Ohio State might have lost to a better team, though I would contend that A&M probably could play with Oregon on, yeah. a, on a neutral field. So, uh, 
if you base it on how the team was ranked, that's one thing. But then you look, okay, who is Ohio State beaten? Nobody. Yeah, well, nobody. at least Alabama has beaten Ole Miss and has beaten Florida, right? They've beaten yeah. two decent opponents. So it's like yeah. you, you go back and forth. It's like this is stupid. It's it's, you're, it's a rat race, and you can frame it however you want. We could go in circles. I mean, it, it's it's just dumb to do before about week eight. It really is because it's like I don't know. Like we we lost to Oregon. Oregon could lose three more games by week nine, and then you're like, man, that's a bad loss. But you don't know that in week two or week four. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, but but what I think what I think the the issue is is that the SEC consistently gets the benefit of the doubt, and I think that's all because of how good Alabama is. You're right. Alabama did beat Ole Miss, and they did beat Florida, but we've seen through the early part of this season that we don't know how good either one of those teams actually are. And I think the issue or the concern comes in with why does the SEC always get the – and they're, as a conference, out of conference, they're not playing well this year either. They've had all had out-of-conference out losses. Um, it's That seems to be what the issue is. Okay, when an SEC team loses to another SEC team, it's just automatic that we're like, oh, the SEC is good – and therefore it's not as bad of a loss. And I think that's what the concern is here is because we've watched Texas A&M play throughout the season. I've watched them play twice before this game. And I didn't take away from any either of the games before this game that this was a particularly good football team. They were average, but not very good. Um, and same thing, I, I agree with you on Oregon. Oregon might not be, might Texas A&M might be able to beat Oregon, but Ohio State takes a loss and drops to 11. Alabama takes a loss to an unranked opponent. That's It does mean something in the scope of things. Why do they only drop a few spots? Mm -hmm. That's kind of where I think, and, and it's typical for SEC teams. SEC teams take one or two losses in a row. They'll still be in the top 25. If Michigan loses next week, they might drop out. You know what I mean? That's, mm -hmm. that's kind of how I think fans have an issue with rankings outside of obviously SEC fans, they're very happy with how the rankings play out. <laughs> <laughs> There's, no There's no doubt. There's always one lower team, lower tier SEC team that finds their way, you know, in a situation they're not supposed to be in and just gets destroyed always. Always. every year. <laughs> yeah, always. There always is. And then, you know what? I, I think it's just you, you really can go back and forth forever, but. Um, there's definitely money, money driven reasons yes. the SEC has gets a benefit of doubt. There's also historical reasons why the SEC gets benefit yeah. of doubt because historically they've been the most dominant Better. conference yeah. in football. And it's like, all right, well, it just goes back to the same thing. Like, what do you base it on then? If not that any of those things, is it just these people don't watch film? They don't know how to watch film, so yeah. you can't base it on that, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's it's AP writers that, that vote in one poll and sports information directors that that fill out a coach's uh, ballot and turn it in for the coach. So the, Ryan Day doesn't know how good Alabama is. He's probably seen zero snaps of Alabama this year. Yeah. So it's like it's just it's, it's just dumb. That's all it is. It's just yeah. like it's just like turning on CNN or Fox News. It's just all dumb. It's like this is yeah. all just narratives and stories and like just just keep it out. Of, keep it out of here. Yeah, because and the coolest thing they did is they created a college football playoff committee where none of these rankings matter ever. They never <laughs> matter. <laughs> college football playoffs are going to come out with their rankings about week eight or nine. Like I said, is when you should. And those are the only ones that matter. The rest of them are like just for people to argue about. Yeah, the only exactly. good, the only good thing that came out of this is that Cincinnati looks like they might be yeah. having a really good shot 
if they went out to get one of those spots now. So there's no doubt they got to beat they got to beat SMU in November. SMU's undefeated yeah. right now. It's going to be a test. It's at home, which is the good news. So now they just got to stay healthy. Obviously, Luke's got to do a great job motivating his team and keeping them locked in and not overconfident. Not don't, they can't become front runners and lose some game they're not supposed to. And they're going to find themselves in a matchup to get boat raced by Georgia or someone else. Yeah, <laughs> at least they'll make their way into a playoff. Right. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. You talk about the pressure, though. The pressure yeah. to be the first group of five team to make it. If they get destroyed, it's going to set back group of five undefeated Forever. teams for I mean, <laughs> decades. Forever. Yeah, that's the same thing. Like I was happy to see B- BYU lose this season. Happy to see Notre Dame lose this season. Those are two teams that kind of do the same thing that work their way in and just disappoint us. But I will say. I'm glad I like, I want Cincy to do well just because of fickle. There's no other oh, reason. Too. Yeah. Yeah, I want them to win it all. I don't care. I hope, I hope they beat Ohio State and win it all. I really do. Yeah. Yeah, so awesome. I can't, I can't root for them that hard, Zach. Well, I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to let, we're going to let, uh, Partha lead the conversation on his second new second favorite team. Not, I wouldn't say second favorite. <laughs> I would say probably third favorite. Cause Cincinnati has really gotten in that spot for me this year. <laughs> But uh, I I had a blast watching the Texas OU game, man. Uh, v, we were texting, and you know, V was a little heated during it. Um, it was it was a fun one, you know. Before we before we actually talk about quality play, it was a really fun game to watch because it was a come from behind victory. You saw the starting quarterback Spencer Rattler, who I'm actually you know pretty big fan of. Um, we can watch him just really play terribly and get benched. And then they brought in this freshman who did the same, like, kind of Quinn Ewers treatment um, over at OU, went there early, skipped the senior year of high school during COVID and just trained. And this kid came in with so much heart, so much energy. It was just like, it was like one of those movies that you watch where, you know, everything comes together for this guy and he comes from behind and gets the win. And afterward, you see that the head coach, uh, Lincoln Riley, uh, just essentially glaze over the fact that his freshman quarterback won them the game and turned the momentum around and stick with his starter, who is clearly the inferior player here. So, you know, I mean, Zach, what did you think watching the game and what do you think about the coaching perspective here? Um, So I, it's one of those things that you never want to make yourself the villain, right? And Spencer Rattler, because he was such an asshole in high school, <laughs> made himself the villain. And he even like got a documentary to promote it and blast it to the world. Yeah. I mean, he was just yeah. an asshole to his high school teammates, to yeah. telling the receivers they suck if they don't score and things like that. Where you're like, you're a dick, bro. And yeah. that's fine if you want to be the. That's fine if you want to be the villain, but you better fucking ball out of control. And he's been awful. And it's you're yeah. sitting here like, it's it's okay if you struggle a little bit, but with that persona and you're the villain i mean the, his own crowd was chanting three weeks ago for the backup they were chanting his name yeah, not just yeah. booing a guy they were they started a chant caleb williams yep and you're yep. like i've never heard of that ever. <laughs> and, and then and then as they make that switch he gets the hook caleb williams goes in caleb williams balls out and it's like you hate to see it but even more than that you love to see it yeah yeah yeah, you you love to see people who need to be humbled get humbled. Yeah, and I think this is in the long term for Spencer Rat- Rattler's career and hopes and aspirations because many pegged him as the number one draft pick uh, in next year's draft. Oh, all the experts did. Yeah, now you 
you're facing some real adversity for the first time in your life, how are you going to respond to it? Because this backup QB isn't scared of you. He's not worried and he's outplaying you. And as a coach, the decision in my eyes, and one thing I do respect about what Urban at least said was the best player is going to play. I don't care about anyone's feelings. And what you saw from Caleb Williams is a better quarterback in in one half of play than we've seen in five games of play from Spencer Rattler. So you just, that's that's something that naturally happens. And I'm really curious on the second part of part of this question here about how you felt Lincoln Riley handled this. I thought it was really unfair to the kid to take that moment away from him um, and for you to actually act like somebody's daddy in this situation. Um, and it's also when you also take into account the potential here for the kid himself, sure. when you consider all the new things, NIL, all the deals, that was that was his like, I'm going to Disney World moment, that interview. Yeah. I just thought that it was really unfair. Um, and, and the counter to that was not fair for, for Lincoln Riley to take that moment away from, from his player. It, it, it wasn't, but that's kind of link. That's who Lincoln Riley is and has been. And um, <laughs> I don't know why you wouldn't let that kid talk after the game. I mean, it's his moment, right? He just won you a big time game. And then I don't know. I don't know why you can't just move on to, you know, who's going to be the quarterback in, in conversations like that. Just wait until Tuesday at a press yeah. conference to address it. Even yeah. I'm not even saying you have to decide on Tuesday. You don't even have to announce it ever until the next game. But just like in that moment, I think you just have to celebrate the moment and what happens. Yes. And any questions about Spencer Rattler would be like, you know what? He, he, he struggled a little bit. We felt like Caleb was a better choice. So we made a switch and we're going to reevaluate it. Spencer's a great player. He's going to be a great player. You know, it wasn't a permanent change yet. We're just, you know, we're, we're just happy that Caleb came exactly. in and played as well as he did. That's all. It's not, I don't know why coaches yeah. make it so hard. It's like they have yeah. to, it's like they either make it about themselves or they, I, what I think is Lincoln Riley was so worried about this cancerous asshole in Spencer Rattler that he has on the sidelines, storming out of the field, not celebrating with the team, fuming mad because he got benched. By the way, Spencer, you got benched because you sucked. Like, let's yeah. not let's not throw a little temper tantrum. You weren't very good. That's why you got yeah. benched. So who are you mad at, right? And he and catered to him as opposed to just celebrating the game and celebrating the kids who played well and this like you said, this kid that was coming in that might be a future star for you. Why not use this opportunity to catapult him up onto a platform? Yeah. And maybe, maybe next week he's like a Heisman contender type of player. I'll say yeah. it right now. Caleb Williams has the Mahomes kind of energy with how he runs around the field. And this the two guys, the difference was that Spencer, when he screwed up, went and stormed out by himself. Caleb high-fived every single person going into the locker room even before he played a snap. I mean, the kid was just electric. He was everywhere, and that's the kind of energy. It's a difference between a good player and a leader. Yeah, oh, Spencer's it's, not a leader. And it's, those, yep. it's those intangibles that, that are, are necessary for a quarterback position. And too often, especially the Mel Kuypers of the world, and there's a lot of co there's a lot of coaches that are like Mel Kuyper. Like, they look at arm yeah. talent. They look at arm strength and all this other stuff. And it's like the quarterback – you know how many great arm talents – and smart kids that have arm talent aren't successful at that position. Yeah, uh, yeah. Almost all of them. Yeah. Because it's about so much more like Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray doesn't, is, he doesn't walk off the bus and you go, Whoa, look at that quarterback. <laughs> yeah. I mean, guys like five, nine, but he's just got that shit to him. Like he walks off the bus and you go, right now. Yeah. And, and, you, you go, Whoa, that's the quarterback. 
right like, yeah like a slot <laughs> and, and 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 to 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 double down on your 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 conversation here about Lincoln Riley, this is how you lose your locker room as a coach too, right? If you're yeah. if you're playing and catering to the little little bitch who isn't being a good teammate and is showing everyone up and isn't even able to celebrate the win with his team, I almost feel like you gotta let a kid like that transfer because he's lost his team at that point. Like they all saw what he did. They saw his behavior. Lincoln Riley saw, what are you trying to protect? In, in actuality, what you're doing for your program by stepping up to that situation saying, look, we are a team here at Oklahoma. We have a culture. No person is above the team. And sayonara, Rattler, it's not like you don't have a great quarterback <laughs> waiting to play. It seems like that was the moment for Lincoln Riley to do that, but it seems like he's sitting here playing politics with maybe he believes the hype about Spencer Rattler and he's worried about future recruiting, but I would think that this would help future recruiting. If you, if you say, you know what, we had a Heisman contender, but he wasn't the right fit for the program. And a freshman came in and took his job, you know? Yeah. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. It's like, it, and, and I think when people talk about players like that, especially at that position, I mean, you could, if you have a kid like that, that's a receiver, you're like, yeah, he's kind of over there though. You know what I mean? Yeah. This kid is the like focal point of everything you do. And it, and they talk about players that act like that are very cancerous in a locker room. And it's very similar to, you know, not to make a, a morbid comparison, but to, if you get breast cancer, it's like, you might like your boobs, you might, but to save your body, they got to go. You know what I mean? You got, yeah. you got to get it removed. And if you don't, the whole body's going to go. And it's a similar deal. Like if this kid is acting that way and infecting the whole team with the way he's acting, he's got to go or the whole yep. team is gone and then you're gone. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I think as an OU fan, you definitely have to be concerned about the chemistry in the locker room, about the culture. And, you know, this is just not how winning teams operate. Right. And I think the other side of this is almost, you know, I kind of have to take the dig at, uh, at the Ohio state fans a little bit here because, you know, I, I get frustrated seeing so many people go down CJ Stroud's throat for having a pretty good game instead of like the best game ever and yeah. calling for him to switch. This is what a bad quarterback looks like. It's different. It's Very totally good. different than what we have going on. I think it's just, it's important not to be reactionary as a fan, but at the same time, like you have to call it out if your team is, is looking dysfunctional on you and it doesn't seem like there's any truth. Right. And, and, and as a fan, I've always thought this, like if, if you're going to be critical of a decision like CJ Stroud as a starting quarterback, even as he struggled a little bit, if you're going to be outspoken, vocally critical about that decision, you are completely exposing the fact you have no faith or you're, you're not a fan of who the quarterback coach is and who the head coach is because they are, they know more than you and they're making this decision. So you might as well be saying fire Ryan day, not yeah. get rid of CJ Stroud. Because if you had any faith in Ryan Day, you'd be saying, man, he did not play great, but I, but hopefully he gets better. Like, that's all you yeah. can say, right? Because obviously the guy you trust, Ryan Day, is telling you he's the best option right now. So root for him to improve. Don't bitch and, and want him replaced. I yeah, mean, you, know, in Oklahoma, you know right? what I heard two weeks ago from an Ohio State fan, Zach? This will fire you up. Two weeks ago, it got me fired up. Two weeks ago, I was talking to somebody I know who's an Ohio State fan. And they said, I'm done with the season. It's over. I'm not watching yeah. another game. Two weeks ago. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it was right after the Akron win. I was like, what are you talking about? 
somebody sees that, itself, right? that's somebody that just wants to go to the beach on a Saturday or something. They just they just looking for a reason to not yeah. watch football. Yeah, and, 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 and the truth is, we have a lot of Spencer Rattlers as fans. A bunch of people, a bunch of fans who act like bitches and should and shouldn't really be fans. They should they should be watching Michigan every weekend. Well, they're not really fans, right? That's yeah. just the Ohio State's just the team they decide to talk about. Yep. Yeah, and they happen to live in the city or close by. Yeah, and, right. And they love to tell their friends when they win, but when they lose, it's like. <laughs> my, I mean, my favorite, I had a conversation with a guy at, at, at our tailgate this past Saturday. Friend of mine lives up here in Powell, like good dude, but he's for 30 minutes wearing my ear out about we need to just throw those little passes like like you said in, in in your podcast in the middle of the field like just go behind the linebacker throw those little passes yeah. i'm like yeah let's fucking do that that's that easy what are we doing right <laughs> he's an idiot yeah. like what are you talking about right he's and, like no listen you just have to you just have to press triangle at the right time right. and you win the game our our, our, our defense can't tackle but cover but let's blame cj stroud that sounds yeah. like great uh, it's great. always where the blame lies but it's all right because we got a quarterback on roster making a million dollars that doesn't even doesn't even dress so gift and a curse right you're the quarterback you're gonna get blamed for everything but you know what yeah. if you guys succeed you're gonna make millions so just yeah enjoy it yeah. Even before you play, you'll make millions. Right. One, one question I have is there, if we continue to rumble and tumble like we're doing with the running game, does Travion Henderson have an outside shot of being a, a true Heisman contender as a freshman? Or do you well, think I mean, this he started is, too late? No, I mean, no, he didn't start too late. You can win, you can win that award. I mean, you got to have numbers. It's always about numbers, but it's also about stories and narratives and, and you know, what – you know what what sells whatever Heisman shirts or whatever whatever yeah. they sell. Um, but if there was a year to do it, like who's going to win it? Yeah, I mean Bryce Young it has, doesn't look like a Heisman player. Matt Corral looked you know inanimate against Bama. Yeah. So you, you go through the list of players. Like no, to answer your question, no, Travion should not win the Heisman this year. No, or, he should even he even be in New York. But if you look at the list, it's like well shit, somebody's got to be there. I like, mean, CJ uh, Stroud. I mean, if he uh, yeah, I guess I he think could. the narrative's not in his favor, unfortunately. But I like the um, the Cincy quarterback. Yeah, yeah, Spencer. I think Spencer there's a good Rattler. narrative there. There's a good narrative, but he you just said, to win it at Cincinnati, you have to put up like gaudy numbers, like just yeah. ungodly. Yeah. and and he's yeah. not. He's putting up fine numbers, but it's not anything where you're going to say, "Wow." He's a, you know, honestly, you know, right now, who the the who probably would win the Heisman after Week Six is the running back in Michigan State. I mean, he's just been ridiculous, and, and also the running back over in at Texas has been playing. Well. Oh, Bajan yeah. Robinson's been playing yeah. well too. Oh, yeah, so I think I think that yeah. this is there's a, this is the year where you might see a quarterback not win it because I don't see a Heisman type of quarterback there's a lot of time left but even it's always someone on one of the best teams right always yeah and it's you it's almost always the quarterback well who is it cj stroud maybe if he just lights it up the rest of the year right is it bryce young probably not but it could be if he lights it up like and georgia doesn't list. have a contender for real georgia for doesn't even have i don't think georgia has offensive players so no, they're, all, <laughs> they're all injured man it's I, crazy yeah it's, it's wild, and they keep so. stomping teams the defense man it's suffocating it's, Yo, like, I it's love, like nothing else in the country. I, it's, I love that defense. I love oh everything gosh. about it. I love those guys, the way that they play. I saw an interview with, with like, they did a group interview with the players, and it's just like, you just love seeing culture like that. Um, yeah. And amongst in a defense, it doesn't matter how much talent you have. Specifically on the defensive side, you have to play cohesively and as a unit for each yeah. other. 
And that's when you'll see even teams that don't have the same level of talent, maybe two or three star guys, if they get that together, they're playing at five star level as a team defense, you know? Yeah, it's just there, there's there's such a difference when you have an elite defense and they're 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 few and far between. I mean, there's maybe one or two every year at most. Yeah. But when you have one like we had in 2014, it was like every offensive snap was like like true war, like yeah. suffocating. You couldn't, there was no space anywhere. No one was open. And if you completed a pass, it had to be a great throw and, a, and an amazing catch. Other than that, you weren't going to gain an inch as opposed to what you watch now from most teams. I'd say 98% of teams where every drive is either a field goal touchdown or they stall out. It's never yeah. suffocation, right? No, it's, it's like, not. it's like, Oh, he, Oh, he's wide open. Oh, he's wide open. Oh, and he dropped it. And then, yeah. then a bad throw. And now it's third down. Now we have a chance to stop him. Yeah. These great defenses like, no, no, no. They're choking the life out of your soul. Yeah, every snap. Are. Yeah, they are. Yeah. 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 So, um, looking forward for Ohio state, we have, the Indiana game coming up, and then really the Penn State game is, I think, what's on a lot of fans' minds. That's the weekend of Halloween. It's on October 30th. Uh, what do we need to do between now and Penn State, Zach, to make sure that we have a good shot here and, and really demonstrate the skill? I think the two things they got to do are, are what we what we talked about the fundamental cleanup, right? They got we got we got to secure the football, we got to catch the football, we got to do those things a little bit better, right? Um, that, that's offensively. C.J. Stroud needs to keep developing and and play like he has for two weeks now. It's got to he's got to do that consistently, and then defensively, got to shore up the tackling. We have to, you know, work on our new in vogue kind of multiple defense that that we didn't do in training camp and so it's all it's not all new they've certainly rep these coverages but it's just not this identity has changed right so they got to grow into that and try to become an elite defense and if they, they have a bye week right now to do it so they got 14 days till they play indiana and i think the biggest thing they have to do is they can't look past this indiana team and look towards penn state because on yeah. the road at indiana has been a nightmare nightmare for Ohio State for decades and and it hasn't yielded losses but they've we, Ohio State's always played bad in Bloomington always and they've Just got a great coaching staff over there that's going to be well prepared and, and no scheme doubt. it up so. there's no doubt and so they got to they got to focus everything they have on it on, on those fundamental things get, getting healthy and beating Indiana they have to because if they don't do that they're they're going to get upset and then then it's a, a complete you know the, then the train goes off the tracks yeah yeah, when you do get a bye week in the middle of a season like this, when you're just starting to get momentum and your confidence mm -hmm. back, mm -hmm. what happens psychologically over these two weeks for the players? Do you harp on looking past or looking forward and thinking about, oh, we lost a game? We've really what happens in those two weeks in a season like this that's going to either lead a team to 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 run through a wall for the rest of the season, or kind of be kind of iffy and complacent coming out of the bye i mean i've always thought first of all it all, it all depends on the personality and plan of the coaches both individually by position group and ryan's plan uh in general i know he's going to give them t more time off than we ever gave him but i think just by one day so which i think you know that's obviously what he thinks that would be best for the health of the team yeah. and, and the mental health of the team right to be fresh-minded for that the run that they're going to have to go on but I always viewed it as a chance, like you're in season trying to correct things, trying to fix things, trying to improve, you know, deficiencies, but it's, you're so busy. It, it's like, it's like a, a never ending wheel where you're like, all right, that one's done. Shit. We got the next one. Who do we play next? Let's watch the yeah. film. Let's, all right. It's like, you can't, you can never get like, take a deep breath and say, all right, what should we do? 
Like, what yeah. do we need to do? Big picture. And that's what a bye week gives you. So as long as it's attacked correctly, I think this is perfect timing. Ohio State kind of hit their stride, got a lot of confidence, going to the bye week, get healthy, you know, fresh legs, work on some of those deficiencies, and then they can come off of it and take a real shot to, to go down this stretch and hit it, hit it out of the ballpark. Nice. Yeah. Love that. Well, that's what we hope to see, Zach. You know, hope for hoping sure. for a six and out close from Ohio State, get ourselves in the playoffs, you know, maybe play Cincinnati. Be awesome. Get get Luke Fickle a win against his alma mater. <laughs> you're rooting so hard for Cincinnati. I'm, I'm, I'm really not. I just know you two and I know you who listens to your shows. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Hey, and I love I, Luke, but I love Ryan's Luke a good too, friend. And, also. I, and, I, and honestly, I, I don't feel like Ohio State treated him with the degree of respect, the fans specifically, with the degree of respect he deserved, both as a recruiter and as a position coach. So, yep. and he's proven us all wrong now. Not me, but you all who hate on him. <laughs> <laughs> Not me, but you guys. <laughs> he, used to, he used to text me all the time, like, when, when is Urban going to get rid of Fickle? He used to text me that all the time. <laughs> yeah. He changed it up now. He acts like he's not reactionary, but he's the most reactionary. <laughs> I'm reactionary for about 30 seconds, then I get it together. Now I've learned to take a pause. Right. Usa, process, Usa, process Usa. and then speak. <laughs> speak so. Well, that's amazing. Thank you, Zach, for joining us. Enjoy this college football sprint. Hopefully it was a 40. We will catch you next week. Appreciate it. Show the Pilot Boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com. You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Hey, this is Partha. Not only am I a pilot boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. I started Lasso to help people improve their movement on a daily basis. We design and create compression apparel that enables you to move confidently, recover safely, and ultimately be the best version of yourself. We use a patented compression technology that activates key ligaments and tendons to help you improve your proprioception, coordination, and balance on a daily basis. Lasso socks were recently ranked number one by Men's Health because of how much they improve how your body works and the overall comfort, softness, and feel of the product. We're very proud of the Lasso socks, so check them out on our website at lassogear.com or at lassogear. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. What's good, V? What's happening, man? How are you doing? I'm feeling great, man. So for those who don't know, V and I, uh, we're now colleagues in more than one venture. Feels good. V came on board Lasso as our director of partnerships. Partha has been trying really, really hard to have a power structure which he was over me, and he finally figured out how to do it. I work hard. I work hard <laughs> to let my friends know that I can dominate them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, on a real note, though, I'm excited. It kind of aligns everything that we're doing together. Um, excited about this new role with, with with Lasso, man. Let's let's get it. It's fun, man. It's fun, and you know, in our role with Lasso and and with everything we're doing with Pilot Boys, I think the number one thing we can never lose is authenticity and truth. And we have seen an interesting week where authenticity and truth, I feel, are shining a light that has uh, 
made a lot of people uncomfortable. And yes. uh, the first thing we'll talk about is the Dave Chappelle stand-up special that came out this week. Um, if you guys haven't watched it, it was essentially the closing piece on his Netflix series, uh, which was a series of comedy specials. And in this one, he really focuses on taking some very strong shots toward a portion of the LGBTQ community that has aggressively come after him since the first special in an attempt to cancel him or, you know, getting upset about the jokes he made. And, you know, it's interesting because I would say as a, as a fan, and we're going to give you the, give you the warning in advance, probably gonna piss some people off here, but yeah. as a fan of Chappelle, there was nothing he said that I ever felt was disparaging anybody. He's a comedian. He's supposed to make jokes, right? And he makes funny jokes, and they're based in a certain culture and a certain way of speaking. And at the same time, he's very conscious. He's very mindful and uh, seems like a good dude. So I've never really had any problem with anything yeah. he said. Um, but the LGBTQ community did because of some of the jokes he made about um, trans folks in the, um, in the previous specials. And so this special, not to ruin it for anybody, but I'll, I'll just kind of focus on the core here. Uh, he really focused on pointing out some of the hypocrisy of the LGBTQ yeah. community in terms of how essentially most of these bad actors who give the community a bad reputation are white people who have, you know, homophobic interests or bisexual, whatever, and they claim minority status, act like victims, get a bunch of attention on them, and use that victim status to tell everybody else that they're doing things wrong until it's convenient to be white in a situation when that minority status actually gets challenged you actually have to stand up for yourself there's an actual threat of violence or danger the things that actual minorities deal with every day when you're white it doesn't matter if you're gay or straight you're still white first and yeah that was the core point that i took away from this yeah i mean i grew up in an era and there's a general idea that comedians have a different level a different leash when it comes to the type of jokes that they make because what they do is put a mirror on society and oftentimes those jokes are funny um, because there's some truth to them and the truth about his comments regarding the baby specifically there's a lot of truth to them specifically he, he pointed out that the baby actually killed somebody at Walmart. It was in self-defense. So mm -hmm. this wasn't the baby just acting <laughs> going and killing someone. But he shot someone in self-defense and killed that person. But they don't care about that. They don't care about some of the violence that's portrayed in hip-hop. They don't care. It's all fun and entertainment because they, like, point it out and say, oh, those are just black people over there. But the moment that something else happens and he makes a comment out of immaturity more than anything else about the LGBTQ community, he's canceled. And what Dave Chappelle was pointing out is it's kind of interesting to me that you can make an insensitive comment toward this group, but if you're racist, nothing really happens to you ever, you know? And I think he was also underlying that point which is the way that the way that we treat the outrage that's targeted toward that community is different than the outrage and the care that we actually have for racial insensitivity. And I thought he 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 used the baby example in a powerful way 
to really underline that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I think the outrage and the cancellation and his reaction to the cancellation was the most appropriate way. He's like, if you want to cancel me, cancel me. I don't give a fuck. You know, he knows and he's standing on his words. He's standing on his jokes. And I and I and it's like a mafia, you know, (laughs) it is. It's a mafia. They're gangsters, you know, and and this is the truth in America about a lot of minority groups. What comes down to it is how strong are your lobbyists? How much money do you have behind you? And how white are you? If you're white and you're a minority of some sort, whether it's your your LGBTQ or you're a woman, then people are going to be outraged when something happens to you. But if you're a minority and fit into those groups, the outrage is never the same. And yeah. and I, it, this is a, a, a crude, I don't know if this is the appropriate way to say it. You don't get to choose what your color of skin is, right? Your, and you don't get to choose your sexual orientation either. That's something that happens naturally. But you do get to choose whether you're going to change your sex or not. That's an actual choice. And it's something that ruffles people's feathers, makes some people feel uncomfortable. Either you're going to accept that conversation outwardly and get through it that way, or you're just going to continue to like shut down all conversations around the subject. And I don't think it's particularly healthy. It's better to get all of that out, all that outrage and misunderstanding of it out and educate people versus just shutting people down when they don't understand something. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing that stood out to me that Chappelle pointed out that I hadn't observed until he pointed it out, the majority of people being canceled are minorities. Yeah. They're that, all I minorities. Mean, the minorities are getting canceled. Yeah. Yep. And it's, it's Kevin Hart, you know, yeah. it's even Weinstein was a Jewish dude. You know what I mean? Weinstein still isn't fully canceled. That's yeah. And it, they He's, haven't pulled any of his movies. They're still they're still streaming on all of the streaming networks, right? That's the dude who probably deserved it the yeah. most, right? But then you get the Aziz Ansaris, the Kevin Hart's. The Kevin Hart made a joke ten years ago that was no different from Lines in the Hangover. But Bradley Cooper's not getting canceled. I mean, the most ironic thing to me was funny. Yesterday was Columbus Day. We still celebrate this dude's holiday, but we're all expected to stop listening to R. Kelly's music. Because it because of what he did, but we're still supposed to celebrate this guy's holiday. Like, there's no balance there. There's yeah. no balance there. I think what what it speaks to, from my perspective, is there's this group of, uh, I'd say, upper middle class white folks who take on this hyper liberal agenda, and they use that as rationale to push others down in society yes. that are different from them. And they bully the rest of society far more than anyone bullies them. Yeah. And then in, in addition to that, if you are a marginalized community of any type, right, you should be standing up whenever you see another community that's a minority being pushed down, right? That's the other issue. We have all these different groups and everybody has their own individual agendas And that's the only agenda that they care about. They don't understand that, hey, the reason that we even get some of the treatment that we get is because of the strides the African-American community has made in this country since slavery 
to level the playing field for all minorities. But when something happens to them, the outrage isn't enough. But when something happens to them, they expect us all to be outraged equally. I think that that's unfair as well. Yeah. You know, I think the the thing that bugs me, we have friends all across the spectrum. It's not like all of our friends are are the same in race or or sexual orientation or gender, any of that. But to see people use that as an identifying factor, nobody cares. I don't care if you're gay or straight or bi or if you've changed genders. It just genuinely doesn't matter to me. I don't want to even talk about your personal shit unless you want to share it with me as a friend, right? So why is that the thing that we lead with in our society? And it's almost like, to me, I'm sick of having to watch my words about these topics gender sexual orientation race like i'm sick of it because at the end of the day all that's happening is we're not talking about the things that we need to talk about as a society yeah we're we're being distracted by a whole bunch of topics that should not and do not matter you know bill nye i posted this a couple weeks ago bill nye posted just the scientific breakdown of why race is such a stupid concept Right. (laughs) And but at the end of the day, it's like we double down and we like leaning into things that divide us versus just embracing people for who they are. And if we just embrace people for who they are, we could all joke with each other. I don't mind if somebody's really a close friend of mine. I don't mind if they make some jokes about my race. I don't mind it. You know what I mean? But. I still need to know whether or not I trust you first before I accept that. Because the problem that we have is that there's a lot of, because we cancel people so quickly, there's no conversation happening. So people are able to hide their true views, what they really think. And I think that that's more dangerous than just having it out there. I want to know if somebody doesn't like me, I want to know that they don't like me. Yeah. And, I don't want to spend my time fighting and and trying to change that person's viewpoint because I know it's not going to happen. That's a waste of time, right? This is same thing. The same thing happened a year ago when we were talking about the election. I remember telling the story of a friend of mine, um, acquaintance who's an LGBTQ film director. And he said, if you vote for Trump, you cannot be my friend. And it's the same, it's the same thing. It's the same rationale to me, which is like, hey, if you disagree with me, then I will use my white power to obliterate you. If you disagree with me, I'll also claim minority status while I'm doing that. And I'm gonna be ignorant about what I'm actually doing. And it's like, listen, like it's frustrating and it's stupid. And I think what's the most whack in entrepreneurship, there's actual investment funds now that invest in LGBT communities. Yep. It's just another way to give minority money to white people. I think minority money is bullshit to begin with. I don't think we should be investing based on someone's sexual orientation or their gender or some shit that they were born into. Because what it does psychologically is make us all feel like we need their help. That's why they do it. right? Yeah. And, and it makes them feel better for the historical things that have been done you know um but i also think there's this there's you bring up a great point about the capitalist part of all of this right and 
it's funny how some of the outrage from these corporations is all based, just like politicians, it's all based on where the money needle is moving. There's this understanding and belief that, hey, what we don't want to do is piss black people off enough that they don't keep spending their money with our brands. And then to a larger degree, this idea of, you know, the, the LGBTQ community is a very lucrative and tends to be financially well-off community, right? Catering to that audience specifically because there's a financial interest there. And that's the other part of this within capitalism where you look at how people monetize these different things. It's like, you're right. Like, we should not care about someone's sexual orientation. Why is it such a big topic that we have to talk about all the time? Yeah. Why? This takes me, you know, right into our next topic, which is why the fuck do we care who got vaccinated? It's a personal decision. It doesn't matter. We have rules for if you have the vaccine. We have rules for if you don't. You can follow those rules and we can just move on. Yeah. And I think we're talking specifically about Kyrie Irving here. You know, that you, I'm well on record saying there's things that Kyrie does that I don't like. There's things, but I don't necessarily judge him because he's always willing to pay the price of his decisions. Whether yep. I think they're right or wrong does not matter. It's the fact that he knows the consequences. He's about to like, why he's do giving you, up millions of dollars? He's giving up millions of dollars to take this stance. Whether you think he's he's right or wrong, the fact that he's willing to pay the price that's necessary for making his decision, that's all we ask for. It's the same thing. If you don't want to get vaccinated, then no, you should not be going into public places. You should not be staying within six feet of people. You should be wearing a mask. It is your choice not to get vaccinated. But the issue here is that this all becomes a political game about where you stand politically because the far right and the right wing is all anti-vax and the left wing is pro-vax, right? And so there's not really a real conversation happening here. And in addition to that, people's behavior is not, be, we're not, as a government, not setting this thing up. You cannot in America say that you have to get something that you absolutely have to get a vaccine. That is not the most effective way to get people in this country to do anything. But then on the other hand, you have the anti-vax crowd who wants to believe and continues to perpetuate a message that this, this illness is not real, that you can't get it, that people aren't dying. I can't point to a family that I know that hasn't dealt with a death within, within a few degrees of separation of them from COVID, right? So to ignore the illness completely and say, I'm going to do what I want and I'm not going to get vaccinated. I'm not going to follow any rules. And then the CDC to set a guideline, which lets the people police themselves in terms of if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. You think the people who aren't vaccinated are wearing, are wearing masks into the grocery store are keeping six feet of distance. So in a lot of ways, this is a failure of the power structure and government, again, making this a political issue to see who's going to win the next midterm election or the next presidential election versus what should we do that's actually right here. Yeah, let me just add to that, too. The goal of the federal government was to get a certain percentage of Americans vaccinated. Are we cattle? That should yeah. never have been the goal. The goal should have been to make the vaccine available 
for anybody who wants it. And if the messaging had reflected that perspective, I do believe more people would be vaccinated. When a government says, my goal is to get 90% of you vaccinated. What does that mean? Why? Why is that? uh, Like, I'm not an animal here. I'm not your property. You know what I mean? Like, I'm an individual person. That's 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 where they really messed up here. Is they, yeah, you can't do that here. But it, you know, I have to say, the other side of this is is just as bad. Look at this this Southwest situation. Both the pilots' union and the company have come out and said, "Hey, this was not a strike based on anti-vax." They both came out and said it. But the Republican Party, as soon as these flights started getting canceled, they came out and they pushed the narrative that these pilots were on strike because they were standing anti-vax. They politicized a situation, which in reality was not based on that. It was based on weather. It was based on a lot of other things. Not one pilot has come out and said, no, we struck because of of our vaccine situation. But it just reminds you of how quickly we want to take every situation without true facts or data and turn it into this vaccine narrative that, gets headlines and gets clicks on both sides and it's just frustrating yeah. to see. Yeah, let's leave the narrative on both sides and just enter our own world of what is objective reality here, which yeah. is that we have millions of people who all are individuals and have yeah. the opportunity to have agency over their bodies and it is to the benefit of society that the majority of people get vaccinated provided that the vaccine is functional and effective, right? Yeah, yeah. And one thing I will say, this whole idea of a government conspiracy, people need to leave it alone because our government is so dysfunctional. The only thing they care about is arms and making sure our military is strong. These guys are not that savvy and that smart to come up with a grand conspiracy of this magnitude. With that said, (laughs) I I will say that like you said they are not policing this situation well at all right set the consequences in a way in which people who are not vaccinated actually pay a price you have to have a scan just like you have to have a driver's license to buy alcohol you know your vaccine card when you go into grocery store you have to present you can set standards like that which can get you to the goal without saying but I would say there be that's where that's where you have some issues. You know, the rights we lost at 9-11 never came back to us. And if we set these precedents for a health decision being mandated by the government to live life as normal, you lose the ability to make that choice. The realism of that situation is, yes, there's a price to pay. But if that price is too significant, you force your population to live a certain type of life and I, I do believe that our health decisions of what we inject into our bodies are our own decisions. And I really don't think that we have an illness that justifies that type of response. Now, if 40% of people were dead, it would definitely require that. But that's not the case. It's still not one of the leading causes of death. It's still just mildly greater than a flu. Yeah. But, you know, the reason that I think you have to set precedents and standards like that in a country like America is that nobody fucking gives a fuck about anyone but themselves. So I have friends who have not gotten vaccinated, but they behave responsibly as a result of that. They know that they could get the virus and that they could transmit it to others. So what do they do? They don't engage. They don't do all the things that everyone else does. They don't go into public places 
and and be a risk to other people as a result of their behavior. I think that is the fundamental issue here is that two things. One, we have a government that's completely incompetent. And the second thing is we have a population of people who also have this mindset of don't cred on me. I have the freedom to do whatever I want to do that don't think about how their actions could have consequences on other people. So how do we fix both of those issues is is one of the greatest challenges. And I think that's why we're seeing our democracy and our union. see We're seeing the cracks and we're seeing it fall apart because of I, these, these things. I, I actually disagree pretty strongly with that, just because I don't think it's the government role to fix individual decision making. People are people. The government's role is simply to provide a functioning country, right? If people are going to make bad decisions, they're going to make bad decisions. But that's the price of freedom. And there is no great a price to pay for freedom, even if it results in things like death, in things like war, in things like even the canceling that's going on right now. We're not going to legislate against that. Well, there's there's a certain thing when you understand societies and you understand people, you have to set laws and you have to set precedents. If you don't, the society as a whole will not function. And there are certain things that prices that you have to pay to live with certain other freedoms. And I think there and, and I think as a society, especially this generation, we're losing track of that. We're really losing track of that. And 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 because of that, we have this mindset of oh, it's it's not the government. I get to do whatever the fuck I want to do. No, you have a responsibility to the society you live in. And if you do not fulfill that responsibility, there are consequences. When you say truly free, truly true freedom would include if I'm hungry and I like to eat people, I can go kill a person and eat that person, right? And that's what complete freedom and anarchy looks like. You have to have laws and principles set by your government or some power structure to prevent chaos. And I think what's happening here is that chaos is being created because of irresponsibility both on the government's part and irresponsibility by a large faction of society who just thinks in these like general terms without any nuance, without any thought. They don't give a shit. But and you know, you know, I think we could do without both of those groups of people personally. We don't have chaos regarding the vaccine. We have chaos in the conversation about the vaccine. People are not dying at astronomical rates. That's a fact. If you if you look at the response of our government, many deaths could have been prevented based on behavior of both the citizens following rules. You know, you don't need to go to the extreme of China where they made people stay in their homes. But this virus in the U.S. would not be in the position that it's in now, where it's spread as much as it has and caused as many deaths as it has caused, as many families being destroyed by it, if this thing was handled properly, both by the government and the citizens in terms of following certain guidelines of, we know how viruses get transmitted. There is a deadly virus starting to spread. There are certain behaviors that we all need to change to make sure this thing does not spread as far. And that's why we're in the position that we're in in America, despite having the resources. Why today still hospitals, staffs are overbooked and, and other illnesses. There is a domino effect here. 
other illnesses and other issues, health issues are not getting the priorities, including cancer, including heart disease, because hospitals are so overwhelmed by an illness, COVID, that should not have the effect that it's having. And this is what people like you are missing in this conversation is the domino effect. That but, that but bad the, behavior and misbehavior by citizens. It's simple. These things are simple. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. Keep your distance from people. Don't do anything that's going to harm other people. These are simple things that people aren't willing to file. And to be honest, we could do better without those type of people in society if you don't feel any responsibility to anyone else except for your fucking self. That's well, just point blank. V, I think I think the core, though, is that the problem isn't that bad. People aren't dying astronomically. The hospitals aren't overcrowded right now. Yes, they are. They are. They are. Then, then they where, are. where, where, who, who in both, do you know in all, in, in the southern, in all the southern states, if you look at the data, the ones that are more anti-vax, you are still continuing to see. I, my mom was just in the hospital, and I saw the less staff. They could not staff her part of the hospital as well because of how many COVID patients, if you handle COVID well and you handle it right, we wouldn't have continued to so have. So COVID right now Delta. is the lowest it's ever been. COVID, and COVID statistics look, right now. Look, look in Florida, look at the Florida, the, the, the states that have lower vaccination rates and the states in which they are more anti-vax and don't give a fuck what happens, what their citizens do. The rates are much higher. And I know many people in healthcare who actually work on the front lines, not looking at the superficial data that you're looking at, who are telling me this, not just in one city, in multiple cities. Yeah, but that that's an facing, observer bias argument, right? That's not, an observer you know, bias. They, they've, they've, actually, they've actually worked in the same situation, both before and after COVID, and they actually know the difference. Some citizen who's looking at superficial data and stats doesn't know. You don't work. You don't work in a hospital. You've never worked in a hospital. You don't know what these hospitals are facing. When I look for data and I ask, I think that those observations do matter, specifically in major markets, when you do actually see the number of hospitalizations for COVID. Hospitalization at this rate should not be happening for COVID if we would have responded to this the right way at the outset of this of of, of this pandemic, if we had a, a population of people. And this is fundamentally what's wrong with America. And this is why we are falling apart at the seams and why there's so much division, because no one can agree on everything. Everybody just wants to be contrarian all the damn time. Well, I mean, I think I think it, it genuinely doesn't matter even if the numbers are up or down, because I think the core point is that in the situation we're in now, you as a government can't legislate a health issue. You know, you can't get people to follow your will. It's just not just even if you think you know better, it doesn't mean you have the right to force people to act the way that you believe. And I think that's a fundamental tenet of America. And I think that's the fundamental difference between the way this country is governed versus Europe and versus South Korea versus China versus all the other countries that handled it differently. And I think there's consequences to the freedom that we have in this country and the ability we have to make choices to not take the vaccine or to not do this or to say that or to not do that. And it's something we figure out along the way it's something that's exacerbated with social media with technology with the way that we spread messages with the way we consume information right now but it doesn't change what the government should or should not be capable of is my well, the, the, the government is an easy scapegoat for people because nobody wants to look in the mirror and take accountability for their own actions i think the government is a scapegoat here 
Drug companies are scapegoats. Scientists are scapegoats. Why do I believe that? Because most of the people, when I hear Ted Cruz complaining about how COVID is handling, being handled, a lot of the noise that's coming is from people on Twitter, on social media, who aren't doing anything. They're not doing a damn thing. So don't be critical of the frontline workers, the doctors, people who are actually trying to figure this thing out because it's nice to do that on social media. The government is not perfect. We know the government's not perfect, but they're not the only culprit here. And I feel like in this conversation around COVID, nobody wants to take personal accountability for their own decisions. And that's what the issue is more than anything else. Yeah. I mean, I I agree completely with that. I think that's, I mean, that's always the solution is personal accountability. And I think the core, the core premise and point that, you know, we started with when we were talking about Kyrie is fundamentally that your health is not someone else's business. Anyone's health is not anyone else's business. And the role of the government in this situation is not to intervene there. And I think we all as a society could benefit from moving forward. There's a significant mental component to illness as well. If you feel like you're going to get sick, you'll get sick. That's how your brain works. That's how your body works. And the conversation we're building around this illness is it's serving to extend it. It's serving to extend the pandemic. It's serving to extend the conflict about whether or whether we should not get vaccinated. If we didn't talk about getting vaccinated versus not getting vaccinated, how many people do you think would actually stand on this hill? Well, no one no one is preventing. That's the thing that people are so idiotic about is Kyrie Irving is allowed to make the choice not to get vaccinated. And he's making that decision. So what are you complaining about? What are you complaining about? Because he's allowed not to get the vaccine. So what are all these people complaining about? He knows and why I respect him is we don't get to always control the rules and regulations of our employment or anywhere that we work with. The NBA can set a precedent of vaccination. States can set guidelines for vaccinations. They can't force you to get a vaccination, but you can have consequences in the workplace as a result of your decision. Kyrie is willing to pay the price. 100%. My issue is with all these people who want to take the stance, but don't want to pay the price or the consequences and think that they don't have to as a result. That's where my issue is. It's yeah. not anti-vax versus vax. Yeah, no, I think that's, I mean, that's fundamentally the exact, the exact, you know, piece. And I think that's the flip side of what we just talked about, which was the left wing attitude regarding this it's the same type of person at the core it is it is it's a selfish person who wants everything their way but wants to act like a victim at the same time right and these are you know i mean i get that the anti-vax uh community tends to be minority more often but it's it's on that side it's a distrust although i do feel that i've rarely met someone who's anti-vax because of distrust anymore most yeah. of the people I've met who are anti-vax are anti-vax for the same reason that certain people like to cancel others on Twitter. You know what I mean? Because they don't have anything better to do. They just want to be arguing. They want to be loud and they want attention. Exactly. Exactly. That's what frustrates me about this whole narrative. It's fairly simple. Yeah. And, and, and what your responsibilities are if you don't want to get the vaccine, what your responsibilities are even if you do get vaccinated, Right. You don't, it's not your job to point your nose down at people that aren't, but you do have, I do feel like you do have the right to know, just like if you are, are, are going to have unprotected sex with somebody. Yeah. I think you're allowed to ask. 
yeah. you're allowed you're allowed to ask somebody's vaccination status and make your decision based on on that it's the same it's the same principle and it's so it's so frustrating to me that we have these principles that have been applied for years that people agree with but in this generation specifically with social media even the simplest things there's like this controversy over that we just shouldn't be having yeah, yeah. that's i mean that's my core about the whole thing is that the conversation we're having isn't productive right the fact that we're even saying vax versus anti-vax presents that anti-vax yeah. sizable community you know it's the same thing that news media did when trump was getting elected when everyone was just like why are you covering this dude he has less than one percent of the votes when yeah. you present him versus hillary in all of your news media that's what ends up happening because people that's buy into the narrative that's yeah 100 yeah. and media does the same thing today and so does government and so does everybody else that's involved and at v like honestly like i find it tough to believe that nobody knows the effects of this but at the same time i wouldn't be surprised because so many people are driven by the wrong things in life that they could be you know as a side effect playing into this narrative that that is happening but i think what what i i think about is on a day-to-day -day basis there's really only a few core things that i need to think about with regards to covid and with regards to vaccination am i healthy am i sleeping enough am i eating well and am i being responsible if i'm going to get going to a situation yeah. where i might get exposed and if i'm vaccinated there's one way to be responsible. If I'm not vaccinated, there's other ways to be responsible. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just fundamental human decency. Take care of the people around you, take care of yourself and treat yourself well, right? That's it. Now, okay. everything beyond that, genuinely, we don't need to discuss. And I think that when you take away the ammunition that people get out of being anti-vaxxed or vaxxed, it, it depoliticizes the issue enough that people can fold. But what we're having is like, People are so politicized and their identity is so associated with not being vaccinated now because of how strong the argument has become that they're not going to do it even if it is the right decision for them because they feel so strongly against it. It has nothing to do with vaccines anymore. And I think that's the fundamental yeah. frustration here. And there's a and it, and it, it ties into both conversations, right? There are people who are being contrarian just to be contrarian, right? There really are people in the entertainment industry. It's actually a strategy that some people employ. They're not really gay, but they act like they're gay. They use it as a capitalist tool. And it's like, that's disrespectful to people who actually are, you know? And it's like, there's this culture of just being, it gets you attention when you're contrarian just to be contrarian. Yeah, you know I mean? that's what we've learned in today's social media age is that if you differ from the norm, that's how you make money. Exactly. It's how exactly. you get attention, really. It's not how you make money. It's not how you make money. That's the thing. Being, you can be different. Uh, you can be different genuinely, or you can be <laughs> different disingenuously. You know what I mean? And I think that that's, that's, that's the difference between successful entrepreneurs and successful entertainers who are genuinely different. You know, nobody, nobody judged Prince for wearing high heel shoes because that was naturally who he was you yeah know, and you knew it was authentic you know what i mean it's 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 just one of those things that i think people try too damn hard 
Yeah. Same thing. If you're my friend that lives off the grid in the woods, I expect you to be unvaccinated. Yep. It's just it's just a personality why, type. Why, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And if you're friends with them, you should not change your position on your friendship with them. But also that type of person probably has a better immune system than all of us put together. They've been out living in the woods. And that type of person isn't going to go, even if he he or she gets COVID, isn't going to go to a public space and spread or it. Or a hospital. Under, They're going to deal with their shit at home. Spread it, spread it to a hundred other people. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and you know, I'll, I'll give you a, a good example of this. The other day, Tafara was at a at, at a public storage facility. This lady walked in with active COVID and told everyone that she had active COVID. Ah, uh, that's gross. Yeah, why? Why? Would you, that's, why? That's why you have to set the rules the way that you set the rules because you have idiots who don't care. Yeah, yeah, straight up. I mean, that's nuts. That's nuts, dog. Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy, crazy. At least she told everyone she had active yeah. COVID. There yeah, if she hadn't people... disclosed, that would have been why. Yeah, yeah. but people are going around not getting this illness and not disclosing it. And we know the one thing that can't be debated is how transmissible this disease is. Yeah. And, and if you get it, stay at home. Just like if you get the flu, you don't go into work. You know what I mean? So you 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 got to follow the rules. I was surprised yesterday because I posted about um, about Kyrie, and uh, I got a little flack. As expected, of course you're going to get flack for that. I didn't think I I didn't think I was that polarizing. I just said it's not our business. Well, people are being triggered. People are looking to be triggered. Yeah, they are out here on social media looking for things to make them upset. So that they can just be upset and ruin their days being upset, you know. True that. <laughs> True that. I mean, that's that's really the core of it, right? Is if you're looking for a reason to get upset in life, that's what I feel like a lot of Twitter users do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then maybe the question is, why are you unhappy? Maybe yeah. the question is not, let me destroy everybody that believes something different from me. And if you're on the internet. For God's sake, stop canceling people. Everyone's got to work. Everyone's got to contribute to this society. If someone sees the world differently than you or has even a bigoted belief or a stupid belief that you just don't believe in, then just don't interact with them. It's so easy. You don't have to ruin their livelihood because you disagree with something they said. I mean, look, you know, we can transition. We didn't talk about this. This The the John Gruden example, right, of, of what just happened with him the, the the racist comment comes out people reprimand him but he's coaching on sunday something comes out where he calls roger goodell a faggot and he's got to resign his job <laughs> i mean it's crazy I, it's 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 like okay let's evaluate this what does forcing somebody who's in a public position like this who controls the locker room. And mind you, one other thing that's being missed about this is the Raiders have the first actively gay player on their team. Mm-hmm. John Gruden came out in support of him. He starts for the team. So all of that's being ignored. And you're going into an email that he sent to a per- personal friend who used he used a word that obviously isn't an acceptable word, 
but we have to have something deeper in context than just let's cancel this person. Let's fix it. It used to be acceptable too. Yeah. That's the thing too, right? Like we, we think about, uh, this is a football coach. Yeah. He's in locker rooms. I mean, I don't expect him to interact any differently with his peers. What, like, what are we thinking? This is not, this is not an art critic. You know what I mean? This is a football coach. And not just that. It's like, the players in his rock locker room and players who played with him in the past, Tim Brown and others, you know, and I know some people who've actually played on John Gruden's team. They've all said he's an asshole, right? But you don't get the sense that all these other things are necessarily true, right? Yeah. He, he is who he is, um, but he doesn't, I didn't hear him say, ever hear a player say, oh, he treats the white players different than the black players. He treats Carl Nassib, and that's a great example. Okay, what he said in 2000, if he actually said that and held those views in 2011, when a player on his team that he coaches becomes the first player, active player, to come out and say that he's gay and for him to have no consequences on his job, his, his contract, he didn't get cut, maybe the guy grew a little. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. We're not asking those questions. I can't believe that that would be cause for him to get get pushed to resign, right? And I think in this society, we really have to start to ask ourselves, why are we enforcing these kind of crazy high standards on everybody? Because none of us can live up to them. None of us are good enough for our standards. And And... The thing is, okay, I think the reason that he resigned is because he actually made the decision. He's got enough money. He's won a Super Bowl before. To to be able to say, you know what? This whole public figure thing isn't worth it. It's not worth the scrutiny. It's not worth it. I think that's why he did it. Because he could have fought this. He had enough people supporting him. The owner wouldn't have fired him. But he actually made the decision that, hey, the scrutiny of of what I did 12 years ago i can't win this battle no matter what i say yeah Um, and and so he just said you know what it's not worth it i'm just gonna i'm just gonna resign yeah 100 percent. and that's you know it's always sad to see that and i think again just to reiterate this doesn't make sense that's that's not how it should be to work or to live in a society and we all have to ask ourselves why we care so much what other people think and say if they're not hurting us and if they're not hurting anyone else. Yeah. Yep. And ignorance is ignorance is something that's a reality too, right? People are ignorant until they're educated. And when you give a person opportunity, you have to give them the opportunity to, to be educated, to educate them. If they refuse that education, then all bets and all gloves are off. But if somebody actually does show true remorse for what they've said or done and cries to make changes, that's what we should aim for in society, not just canceling every single person who who makes a misstep or does something wrong. That's not yeah. going to lead to effective change. Yeah, and we, you know, I'll tell you how I really feel for a second. The uh, the type of person who does, does the type of canceling we're talking about, right? And I'm specifically focused on the type of person who's mad about Kyrie, the type of person yeah. who's mad at John Gruden, the type of person who's mad at Dave Chappelle. These are people who live in a very fear-based reality. Like their heads are yeah. 
are very scary to be inside. Yeah. These are people because of that fear-based existence. They've never taken a step outside to find happiness for themselves or to yeah. really do anything for themselves. And so they take that unhappiness and then they use it to tear other people down who are just trying as much as they can to do something positive for society that puts yeah. them in a position where they're more vulnerable. Like the level of vulnerability to be a head coach of an NFL team or to be an NBA player or to be you know, the greatest stand-up comedian of all time, you have to bear your soul to the world for that art to resonate, for your work to resonate. You have yeah. to put it all out there. For those people, after all of that vulnerability to get attacked is not fair and it's not right and it's not how we should conduct ourselves. Because if the shoe was on the other foot and the same person who did the canceling on Dave Chappelle is posting something and we get mad at them, they're going to be the victim all of a sudden. Yeah. And it's all of a sudden we're, we're doing all the, what is it called? Victim blaming. We're doing all of that all of a sudden. And it's like this, this language that has emerged around this specific cancel culture in our society. It's fake, like progressive in terms of like, it's fake empathy. It's fake self-awareness. It's like, it's like, uh, AOC wearing a tax, a uh, hundred thousand dollar tax, the rich yes to the met gala to make a point you're going to the most ostentatious waste of money event to 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 be the center of attention and make a point it's like complete hypocrisy and people are like jumping on and saying oh yeah that was awesome like yeah that's fake progressiveness right there yeah and genuinely <laughs> as much of a clown guys like ted cruz are they seem like a better hang than the people doing the canceling who might have more degrees, who might be more woke, who might be vaccinated, who might do all that shit that we're talking about. Ted Cruz is probably a lot more fun to spend time with because he's just not being a dick. He's still a dick. You know what I mean? But he's like, I don't think I don't think uh, that's that's the that's the best comparable. There's probably someone who's probably I can't um, think of anybody else on the other yeah. side, to be honest with you. But yeah. I'm trying. You're but trying. the point being, you know, if, if, if that's what you're consumed with is tearing other people down who are just doing their best to try and add to society in some way, we're all flawed. We're not going to do it perfectly. We're all going to do it kind of okay. And you just yeah. have to accept that. Yeah, that old saying that you shouldn't cast stones if you live in a glass house. We all live in glass houses to a degree, right? Yeah. And so we, before we start, we look for reasons to judge everyone else and take take our own insecurities up with ourselves out on other people. And I think that's what a lot of this is. Whereas if you are a secure person, you'll see someone say something that's so out of bounds and so illogical and so stupid that either you laugh or you work to correct them. You, your reaction would not be anger and emotion. Yeah. It'll be questions. It'll be smart questions. Why do you feel that way? What makes you feel that way? Yeah. It won't be reactionary. I mean, that's, that's a sign of maturity. And the other part is like, I feel like when I talk to people these days, it's like the the amount of bullshit that is between the thought and what they actually say to me is is evident. Yeah, it's very evident. Yeah, like I'll say something, you see them get triggered, you see them rationalize it, you see them think of their response, you see them now change the words so that it's PC and then they say it back. And you're just like, what what is going on right now? I thought we were talking. There's that and it's the programming. So many people have been programmed by either political banter, media, to to hold such strong viewpoints that they can't, they actually can't even hear what you're saying. A lot of times I'm talking, 
I feel like I'm talking at people, not to them anymore. Like we're talking at each other across from each other. We're not having conversations anymore. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, even like, bro, even watching the Chappelle bit, he says he's a feminist. He gets a round of applause. I think we should all be feminists. It just means yeah. that we believe women are equal to men. Like, why does that deserve a round of applause? That should be the yeah. default. Yeah. And the round of applause is what's driving a lot of this, this behavior. Right. Yeah, a hundred percent. Those same people that clap there are the ones who cancel them for being transphobic later. Yep, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, the whole situation. It's a tough, it's a tough world, and that's why yeah. I do not have a desire to be a public figure. I'm. I trust myself. I trust my judgments. I trust who I am, and I would not want to be put in a position where, you know, one one situation where. I might have misspoke or said something without context or they they take a sound bit without the context and they turn me into something that I'm not. People that know me know I'm not. That that's that's not a price I'd rather have less money. Uh, yeah. than pay that price personally, you know. You know, I mean, I think that's that's the uh catch 22 we find ourselves in. We're artists at the core. We love to create for the world. We love doing the podcast. But at the same time, we're never going to appeal to the masses because we just don't give a fuck enough to. Yeah. So at the end of the day, you know, our our community here, we're here for you. We're here to just give you the real as we see it. And hopefully it helps. But you're never, ever going to hear us taking on the same talking points that you're hearing anywhere else because we just don't believe in that. Life is not that clear cut. And even in this episode, you can hear that, V and I can still differ on things. And I think yeah. that's valuable for us to differ on things and feel differently because then I know if I talk to V, he's going to pull me in a direction I wouldn't have gone with my thought process or with empathizing with the situation or whatever, you know? And I think that's how we should handle our disagreements in society. We shouldn't be sitting here canceling people or telling them that they're not good enough. Like if we disagree with somebody, they probably know something we don't and we can learn from them. Yep. And that's a great thought to end the episode on. As always, stay moving. And be you, you as fly. Tyler Boys out. Tyler Boys, we get on now. We don't fly.